This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Johandria is the EMEA field CTO for Mimecast, one of the world's leading cybersecurity companies. Johan leads the UK and Ireland sales engineering team, where each day his team take on cyber disruption for their customers on tackling their biggest cybersecurity challenges, be it in stopping phishing attacks, fake news, fake websites, or helping train their staff to be more cyber aware. Johan Drea, welcome to ClientSide. Hi, Nathan. I've been looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks for having me. Me too. Thanks a lot for doing this. We had you on our webinar a few weeks ago, and now we've roped you into doing the podcast as well. So super excited to have you back speaking with us. Um, let's talk a little bit about your background at Mimecast, because you've been with the company for almost 10 years now. You've held a number of roles. You're now a MIA field CTO. Tell us what responsibilities you have and, and how do you help the company? Oh, it's a pretty cool role, Nathan, and, and one that I'm proud to have been able to reach uh, in my tenure with, with Mimecast. Um, I mean, my primary role really is to help focus or help align the priorities of our strategic large enterprise customers with our kind of product team and the direction that we're, we're taking as an organization. Um, and what that means is I get to spend a lot of time with lots of different stakeholders, whether kind of on the ground technical or senior executive leaders, to understand what's going on in the market and in the world and then kind of this across our customer and channel community and then bring that back into the organization and share that with our go-to-market and product and engineering teams to try and inform and define where we go as an organization but also how we come back to the market and share the information that we have or share the tools that we have so it's really cool i don't do this by myself i've got a couple of peers who cover the the us and apac regions as well um, so that ensures we've got global representation and, and, uh, across the board. And, and Mimecast's focus is to deliver relentless protection. Tell us a little bit more about the company. Who are your typical clients? What problems do you solve for them? Yeah. We started out as an email security and management company um, where when our CEO, Peter Bauer at the time, and, and Neil Murray, the founder back then, realized that there's a lot of complexity that goes into email system ecosystems. And they, they set this goal to, to manage and simplify that. Fast forward a couple of years, and we've grown quite a lot as an organization and focused on our energy on creating valuable integrated solutions to help our customers become more cyber resilient. We do this by helping customers protect their brand through digital asset monitoring, keep their employees safe from cyber attacks that start with an email or that start with email, and also allowing employees to keep communicating with their customers when something prevents access to their corporate email or collaboration tools. Hmm. We've got about 40,000 customers all over the world now, um, and that keeps growing, which, which is incredible and amazing. Um, it was nowhere near that when I started in the, in the organization almost 10 years ago, as you say. Hmm. And, and those, you know, that covers pretty much every industry, every vertical, every size of organization. So, so generally, uh, we don't have a specific ideal customer. We, we appeal to anyone who uses the internet as a means to do business. Mm, absolutely. Let's talk about the brand trust element of this, because uh, that's that's one area where you you help your, your clients. I mean, brand impersonation attacks really have been on the rise across the globe in recent years. And pretty much everyone is at risk. As you say, it's, it's not specific to any particular industry or geography. 
uh, all companies pretty much of all sizes are, are at risk here when uh, brands are in, impersonated. Explain some of the tactics that cyber criminals are using to exploit brands when it comes to brand impersonation. I'm probably going to be a bit biased in my response here, Nathan, given uh, given where I work um, and, and where we primarily focus our attention. Um, but most common tactics that I see or that we see by far are um, impersonation of emails. So um, attackers or, or threat actors creating emails that look like they come from an organization's email domain um, or, or that look like or follow the template or branding that they would normally use for communications and, and trying to use the brand trust that's built into that organization or the brand they're representing to get the, the recipient to take some form of an action or click on a link. The other aspect that we see quite a lot of, and, and again, I think this will resonate with, with everyone that's listening, is the creation of fake or lookalike domains or websites that, that look very similar to um, or adjacent to, to a well-known brand mm. and exploiting that trust to kind of get folks to take action. An example of this is, is just yesterday I received an email confirming a purchase of £55 from Amazon mm. and advising me to click on a link that looked just like an Amazon help link. Um, I mean, it wasn't, but um, it, it looked very similar and suggesting I click on the link to dispute the payment. Now, you know, being inquisitive and, and working for a cybersecurity company, I've, I've got access to some kind of isolated environment. So I put the link in there and I clicked on it to see where it would take me. Thankfully, the Mimecast service blocked the link, so I wouldn't be able to be compromised. But what they were trying to do is capture my Amazon login and password, and, and then they'd use that to start enacting transactions and, and shipping things using my stored credentials um, or, or use those passwords elsewhere. Hmm. The same thing happens in the corporate environment, right? So we commonly see brands such as Microsoft and Google and Salesforce, to name just a few, being impersonated and, and trying to get employees to click on links so they can capture corporate credentials or capture corporate information. Hmm. I, I mean, it's absolutely terrifying. And I, I come across, and I'm sure everyone listening to this has come across those sorts of emails and, and links, both in their business and personal lives. Talk a little bit about the impact that brand impersonation has on a brand such as Amazon, for instance. Are, are we forgiving or do do consumers really take that to heart and maybe maybe start to shop elsewhere it's huge nathan um there's a frost and sullivan re uh, report and research that showed that 48 percent of the survey respondents they had stopped using an online service because of a data breach huh. and and that that sentiment's reflected when you look at some of the breaches that have happened in in kind of the last five to ten years um an example you know uh, that comes to mind for me is in 2015, TalkTalk Talk had a data breach, and that's estimated to have cost them about 60 million pounds and 95,000 customers if, if some of the data that's online is to be believed. Incredible. Now, the good news is that brands can rebuild trust, right? You look at TalkTalk Talk now, and, and they've rebuilt trust, and, and they're, they're attracting consumers, and they've had record growth since then. So where consumers will lose faith and trust, brands have the ability to rebuild that. But that is an expensive process. So it, it's really important to keep a focus on protecting yourself early on. So how can brands protect themselves, aside from using Minecast, of course? <laughs> I think there's, there's a number of different things that brands could do. Um, you know, the HMRC is a good example of, of exactly this, right? So in, 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 the, in about 20, 
2013, 2014, HMRC saw a massive uptick in tax return scams and scandals, particularly in emails and personating. So, so they went embarked on a big journey to implement and ensure that their DNS records and things like that were maintained and up to date. And, and some of the stuff is going to cost organizations virtually nothing. Some of it will, will require some, some outlier investment. Um, so things like making sure your SPF records are up to date, setting up digital signing or, or DKIM signing of your email communications to make it harder for third parties to impersonate your email communication domains, ensuring that you, know, you, you deploy technologies like DMARC, which, which allow you to, first of all, define whether something is sending on your behalf is authorized to do so and that is validated as being from you, but then also being able to define what action the recipient system should take if it's not validated or authenticated as coming from you. So, so those are some things that organizations could do, which either have no or very little investment to get them up and running, but do take a bit of effort and a, and a bit of work. Taking that a step further, you know, we're seeing um, one of the things that we do as an organization, one of the things that there's a big industry that's, that's spinning up around is digital asset monitoring. So the idea of being able to keep an eye on your domains, your brand, um, your web, your websites, your login pages, and, and where are similar, where are similar kind of um, spaces or similar assets popping up on the internet? And what are they trying to do? You know, sometimes there's a legitimate reason for it. Sometimes um, it is, you know, sometimes it is a, uh, a different organization that's, that's they've got legitimate business interests. Sometimes it's uh, your website being copied for malicious purposes. And, and when that happens, having an eye on what's happening in the market means that you can, you know, early enough to start in that, taking action against it. Some of these services will offer the ability to support your, you in the, the kind of process of taking those down or requesting a takedown of those digital assets. And that then becomes important because not only are you keeping an eye on what's happening in, in, out in the kind of wild west of the internet, but you're also then trying to take action when things happen. So putting blocks in place and forming, um, informing search engines that, you know, these are, these are infringements on trademarks and copyrights, uh, potential malicious act actors. Those kinds of actions go a long way in building trust and making sure that you're protected. So then aside from impersonation attacks, what are the sort of cyber threats should brands be aware of today and how can or should they protect themselves? Outside of impersonation, you know, one of the most, most prolific in the news right now is ransomware attacks. You know, you, you only have to open your favorite newspaper or, or kind of news website, and then there's probably someone in there that um, has suffered uh, some kind of a ransomware attack. Sure. Um, those are absolutely key to kind of keep an eye on. And, and what most organizations need to be looking at in this aspect is how do you ensure that you've got an independent backup copy running um, that's there? How do you ensure that it's tested and you can kind of bring it back online should you need to? What kind of tools and services have you got to keep your employees and your organization productive if you did get locked out of your data or your system? So how quickly can you get back online and, and up and running? Credential harvest you know, is become a, a big thing. People's username, passwords, um, they're valuable depending on what the action is that the, the attacker wants to take. You, know, you, you could sell credential databases on, on the black market. Um, 
on the dark web for immediate returns, you could leverage credentials to access someone's corporate network and use that as a launch point to be able to launch attacks, to be able to compromise additional environments and systems. So credential harvest is quite significant. And again, that, that goes back to trust, right? It exploits brand to be able to harvest those credentials and capture that. And then it leverages the brand itself to then spread that threat further on. Mm. Um, so you want to be careful of, of those kind of uh, aspects as well. And and whose role is it to protect the organization here? You know, is it the CISO? Is it the sort of head of IT? It's kind of a, a thankless task in many ways, because if there's no attack that happens, then, you know, they're, they're not thanked. But as soon as there is an attack, then everyone's pointing their fingers saying you're, you're at fault. So they, you know, they can't really win to a certain extent. But a lot of what you've described, the actual users the employees within the company are the ones who are really responsible for making sure that they protect themselves and they not they don't expose their organization to risk. So whose responsibility is this within the organization to ensure cybersecurity is maintained? Is it the leadership team at the top, head of IT, CISO, or is it sort of employees a little bit further down? It's everyone's role, Nathan, is the, the simple and straightforward answer. It, it, it's our role as employees um, to ensure that we maintain good practices, that we stay vigilant. Um, you know, I, I use the example of you know, not handing out your bank account details or leaving your bank account details lying around in public. Um, that applies as much in my personal life as it does in corporate life. I shouldn't leave my passwords hanging around. I should be vigilant and concerned about what links I'm clicking, who am I, what, what kind of conversations am I having around whom, who can, who can hear me, who can't hear me. Um, those kind of things are what I need to be able to do as an, as, as an employee of an organization. Um, I think the, the organizational role and responsibility then comes down to how do leadership set and mandate a structure and strategy to be able to facilitate those environments? Um, so, you know, things like, do we have a, a, an enablement and education process um, and structure and a mandate? Do we have, do we make the tools available for our IT organization, our security organization, our HR departments to then cascade down the necessary levels of engagement from employees, the necessary education, the, the work process environment for it um, to do it. You know, and, and it could be simple tips like if you're working in a public place, turn down the dimness on the screen of your mobile device or your mm -hmm. computer because that reduces the angle at which someone could necessarily see. So they'd have to sit physically over your shoulder. It could be things like handing yeah. out privacy screens. That makes a big difference. It could be helping people understand that you know having a, a sensitive employee discussion or conversation in the lounge while working at home with other people around their family members. You you think nothing of it because you have got or you do have lots of conversations um, with family members that are sensitive to your personal life. However, when you're discussing someone else's situation, that dynamic changes, and we may not be thinking about that all the time. And and that sort of conversation enablement discussion comes or is set at the leadership level and then enabled and cascaded and executed at the kind of director or at the executive of the board and or it's set at the board level and then it's executed at the the um the executive and director and, and kind of management levels 
it's interesting to to hear you say that actually that um you know the solutions can be as simple as and non-tech savvy as turning down the dimness on your mobile phone because um, a lot of people would have assumed that you know there's far more sophisticated technology at play here but a lot of what we're doing is really just using common sense and if we're sitting next to someone on a train and we're accessing sensitive information just turn down the dimness on on your mobile phone well, well, that's exactly it, right? T- technology is a control, Nathan. So, so technology is a way of putting a check in place that stops something from happening or that allows something to happen or that makes someone think. Um, behavior is really key, right? So you could be in a perfectly safe environment and behave in a way that it, or that kind of breaches the, the structure and construct of that safety. And that turns an inherently safe environment into an unsafe one. Um, you know, IT talks about the weakest link in the chain is the one that bypasses the control or bypasses the chain. And that's the same thing across the board, right? So if, if we think by default in, in a safe manner, in a good practice manner, if we're, if we're internet savvy, if we're digital savvy in the way that we think, in the way that we approach things, um, or digital smart, then the technology and controls will enable us. Um, if we don't apply a level of savviness when we interact with the digital world, then it almost doesn't matter what controls or technology investments we have in place or how they're configured, they're just not going to be effective. And I hear what you're saying around sort of the leadership team setting the policies and the strategy for the rest of the organization to follow, but it can be you know, talk a little bit about the implementation here, because organizations that are, you know, five, 10, 20,000 people distributed globally around around the world, it's one thing to kind of set a strategy at the leadership team, but it's, it's another thing actually implementing those changes on the on the shop floor in geographically dispersed locations around the world. So w- what's your advice to companies around how, how best they should do that? At the top level, Nathan, we've got to set the strategy, right? So we've got to say, this is the outcome that we're trying to achieve. We want to create a culture of digitally aware, good behavior when, when working, not only in our corporate environment, but our personal environment. Um, I think we've got to try and increasingly link and connect personal digital safety or personal cyber safety with, um, with corporate because like it or not, they are very, you know, they're very much becoming one and the same, especially in this new kind of hybrid working, work from anywhere mode and environment. More people are accessing personal systems and personal environments using their or kind of personal websites and tools using their, their um, corporate devices. And more and more people are accessing corporate tools using their personal devices with, with, with kind of bring your own device strategies and things like that. So, so there is this blend. People are working from home, from coffee shops, from holiday homes even. And that brings a whole different dimension to, to it. So I think first and foremost is we've got to commit ourselves as, as organizations to driving the, the uh, or to driving a blended approach between enhancing personal kind of safety on, on the internet and the cyber world, as well as the corporate strategy. So that's the first thing. Secondly, I'd say you've got to personalize it. So each country, each region, each demographic that is part of your organization is going to relate to something slightly different. Um, the comedy or, or the, the level of humor that you'd see in an American sitcom is very different to what you'd see in a British sitcom. 
um, <laughs> the the level of banter or conversation that you'd see on a cricket pitch is very different to what you'd see on a football pitch. Sure. You know, the level of cyber or digital awareness that you'll get in someone who's in their 30s or 40s is going to be entirely different to what you're going to get from someone who's in their kind of 20s to 30s just because sure. of how we've grown up, what, what, what environments we're used to and, and what we've learned versus what's been native to, to our existence. Um, and, and we've got to be able to tailor our messaging and, and our construct to what works for that demographic and, and for the territory or region that we're talking to. So I think, I think that the lesson there is there's no one size that fits all. Um, give each part of the organization a reasonable level of autonomy and, and the right tooling to be able to to affect the behavioral change and, and to drive the, the kind of cultural change that you're looking to achieve the outcome. So you raise a really interesting point there, Johan, around the generational divide, because as you rightly say, you know, younger people in their 20s and 30s, they grew up with the internet. They maybe have more of a uh, laissez-faire attitude towards cybersecurity and cyber threat, whereas people with a slightly older who remember a time before the internet, uh, like me, for instance, um, understand that actually, you know, you, you, by exposing yourself unnecessarily, you, you, you expose yourself to, um, you know, quite severe um, reputational and brand risk, as, as you've articulated earlier on. Talk about how you go about advising or educating a younger millennial workforce who have grown up digital who are used to sharing their information on the internet and on social media about the importance of cyber vigilance? I think it's really important to be able to feed short bits of information to people uh, in, in, in a very or in, in the way that they'd like to digest it. So if we think about the way people try, tend to communicate uh, these days, it's all about short, sharp communications that engage the audience, Nathan. Um, a lot of what we see today is video based it's kind of 60 seconds or less often kind of 15 30 seconds think of services and tools like TikTok, um, instagram reels um, it's media related it's highly visual highly engaging very short sharp messaging and then it draws the the it draws them to further attention or draws their attention away to to other resources that might be of interest and i think kind of that's quite important feeding lots of updates into the system or into kind of our, our, our employee base on a regular basis but in in, in short and manageable chunks um, and making sure it remains relatable right so it, it's got to be and I keep I keep kind of laboring this point of being relatable mm -hmm. if I get it if it makes sense to me I'm more likely to to adopt it I'm more likely to implement it and I'm more likely to stick with it. So I think kind of that, that's quite important how we think about it. And then at Mimecast, mm -hmm. what we've done by way of an example is, is a lot of our awareness training is focused on kind of engaging humor. It's short snippets based. It's real life situational kind of actions, uh, almost like a short skit of, hey, I was in this situation and I accidentally sent this email and all of a sudden payroll information was all over the organization. Sure. Um, and you can almost imagine yourself being in that situation and being that person. You kind of relate to that scenario. And then we'll create the teaching moment off the back of that and, and create the understanding of, you know, these are good practices um, that you want to bring into it. And, and, and that kind of sticks with me, that, that engages people. Hmm. 
I'd say that's a way to, for us to take the, the to take it moving forward. Mm, well said. Just bringing the interview towards a, a close now, Johan. I mean, you've have a, you've had a very successful career within Mimecast and within technology. What advice would you give to aspiring sort of brand and technology leaders on how to best navigate their careers? I think don't be afraid to try things is probably first and foremost. Um, you know, throughout your career, throughout everything that you do, opportunities are going to present themselves and, and you can have a choice at that juncture to kind of go, do I take this on and do I not? And sometimes they might be big. Sometimes they might be kind of daunting. I've never done this before. Um, where you can, you know, seize the opportunity and, and kind of take advantage and, and try and, you know, do the best you can to, to progress. Um, don't be afraid to fail. You know, often kind of uh, the best lessons we learn and we only get better when we fail to do something um, mm. or, or when we think we can do something and, and we, we fail. Um, and lastly, don't be afraid to ask for help. I think kind of this is probably the biggest and most effective way that we learn and that we progress in our careers or, or the most helpful thing in my career has been just when I got stuck, just turning around and going, hey, Nathan, um, I've got this genuine, well, I've got this problem, I've got this thing that I'm working on and I'm just not sure where to go at. And, and mm. they may not know the answer, but just talking about it will often help me and will help anyone who, who's aspiring to kind of progress their career to find the answer they're looking for or to find a direction that they go in or, or someone else they could ask for help. So, you know, be open, ask for help. Often the answer lies within you, but it needs that conversation and, and that external perspective um, to, to, to bring it out of you. Hmm. Great place to end. Johan, thank you so much for doing this. Absolute pleasure, Nathan. I've really enjoyed our conversation. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email zoe at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Jennifer Brennan, our booker slash researcher. David Clary is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibarbra. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side. Brought to you by Fox Agency.